This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. Historically, technology design challenges have been centralized around the two-dimensional presentation of information and tasks. But a new discipline has emerged, service design, or the creation of a complete experience that satisfies the user at every touch point throughout the service cycle. In this presentation entitled Code Blue, How Service Design Can Revolutionize Patient Care in Hospitals, Aaron Martelage explores techniques for leveraging varied skill sets of those in the UX design field to provide service design in a complex environment. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. And really, I'll give a, a quick example that everybody's familiar with before I delve into healthcare. And we're talking about an iPod, a product. And everybody, I know it's very cliche at this point, but everybody knows it, so it's easy. And you talk about the iTunes uh, on your desktop and also the iTunes store. Those are services that extend the product and create an entirely different environment. So let's talk about what, another very familiar example. We have Starbucks. Starbucks, yes, they sell coffee, but it's about the experience, it's about the service. They designed everything about Starbucks to make it that third place, that, that place you want to be in between work and home. What happens when you combine those two together is when you get to service innovation. When you bring Apple and Starbucks together, you're bringing products, but ultimately it's about the service experience that's been designed so that people can go into Starbucks, download the music that they're hearing from the actual Starbucks store to their iPod, and take it home with them. That's a, that's a very easy way to look at service definition. Where I'm going to take it is, is much more poignant. It has life and death circumstances. So when you start talking about that, it makes the iPod problem look a little flimsy. So I'm going to jump into the case study. So where did we start? Well, I have to give you a few definitions. That's kind of the challenge when you talk about something very complex uh, as, as service within healthcare. Uh, we focus primarily on something called the rapid response team. A rapid response team you can think of is like ambulatory care within a hospital. So imagine that somebody's declining in, in, in health. This is a team that's going to respond and try and bring critical care to the bedside instead of having to transfer that patient into an ICU. So how do you bring that service that has the nurses, the physicians, the patients, how do you think of all those touch points, the locations within the hospital? That's the service problem that we're trying to define here. It was an existing service that was offered within a hospital, and this was a teaching hospital, and it had been around for about a year. And we were asked to come in and, and help improve that service. But I want to talk to you a little bit about how, how real this is. I, and it kind of, you know, you're healthy or you're dead, right? All right? So you have both extremes, and we talk about what are the touch points at that very high level. Well, you start out, you may not be feeling well, you go to the doctor, all right? So hopefully the doctor can give you some medicine, prescribe something that, that helps you feel better, and, and you, get, you get back to that healthy end, right? Maybe it's not going so well, so you end up going to the hospital. 
So now you're in the hospital, and everybody thinks of the hospital as, well, that's where you go when you have a critical situation. That's not always the case. You might have a minor, minor problem, you might be really critical, but the hospital, it's amazing the difference between somebody who goes to the hospital for an, an acute situation versus somebody who uses the hospital as a place to go when you're really critically ill. And how that, what happens over time is that you might develop these critical conditions that are slowly taking you towards the right end of that spectrum. A lot of times, we love to think that hospitals have figured it all out. That you go to the hospital, you get the care you want, and you get better and you go home. Obviously, a lot of people die in hospitals. So at what point you bring that care to the patient is very critical. But unfortunately, what happens is the time when you really start focusing on a single patient is maybe when they code. So now they're actually dying. And you're to that point where you're like, oh my god, we're all the way down here. It's, it might be too late. So the idea of rapid response is instead of looking for those signs of decline right at the point of, of failure, trying to move those signs and symptoms so that you can see them further up that scale so that you avoid critical conditions by bringing that critical care before it becomes a life-threatening situation. It's pretty powerful stuff if you think about it compared to an iPod. The other thing that's really interesting about the rapid response team is it really flips kind of modern medicine on its head in, a, in some ways. Of course, you have the dynamics between a nurse and a physician, and, and there's a lot of uh, hierarchy within a hospital. Has, has anybody done work within hospitals, working on products, things like that? So you've seen firsthand the, the, the struggles between a physician who's very well trained, they went to school, they did everything, they know the answers, they are right, and nurses who are seen not as people who can provide the best care because they didn't have as much education. Well, the weird thing about rapid response teams is they're nursing-led. So now all of a sudden you have nurses that are responding. They're, they're bringing about the rapid response team. They're calling that, that phone number and not the physician. You're putting the power in the nurse's hands, and now you're trying to make that so that the, the physicians are not subservient to the nurses, but it's, you're trying to provide the best care to the patient. Who cares if it's the physician or the nurse that calls as long as the patient gets helped? So what you have is you have this shift and all of a sudden you have the nurses that are kind of controlling this and the physicians are in a situation where there's animosity. You have a social challenge. So not only are you trying to solve a service issue and bring the best quality of care to the patient, you have to deal with the social challenges within the organization that's been built over years, decades. So how do you do that and what are all these different dynamics? So we had a few goals of the project. They're, they're relatively simple, and, and because service design is somewhat of an emerging practice, there's usually not these grand things where you go in and say, we are gonna design something, and it can directly be attached to ROI. We try really, really hard, but it can't always be the case. So our goals are pretty simple. We want to capture and model an undocumented service. A lot of papers had been written about rapid response teams, but very few hospitals in the country actually employed them. So there's not a lot of information out there to say, hey, this works and this doesn't. The other thing that's really great about hospitals is they love to just do things. So you know, they're, they're experts, they know what they're doing. So what they do is they just, oh, I need to change that, I'm gonna start doing it. And they don't document anything, they don't understand if it works or not, they just do what experience tells them is best. So you have a challenge where you have something that's not really repeatable. So how do you document and, and discover that and make it something that you can now take and bring to other hospitals? So we had an entire hospital organization that had multiple hospitals within it and only one was doing rapid response. And they wanted to bring that service to the other hospitals. But they didn't even know how to describe what it was without giving somebody papers 
on the hospital, the, the research that had been done around this idea. So it's very difficult to replicate something when you don't even know what it is you're replicating. So we were trying to, to capture that and, then, and, and I think really ultimately make improvements, yes, but we're not doctors, we're designers. So we tried not to look at what is the type of care that's being provided to the patient, but more what is the process, what is the service, and how can we improve those touch points so that people have a better experience and ultimately it saves lives. Not because we said you need to do this to that patient at this point in time, because the things around that process are better designed, better defined. So we're gonna go through three steps here, and, and I, I have to do them in sequence just because of the PowerPoint, but really these things happened concurrently. So what I'm gonna show you are three different tracks. Of course, the vision pervasive throughout, but you're gonna see the kind of end products, but really this discovery and data analysis occurred simultaneously, and they fed into each other. So you'll see one part, kind of remember it, and then when you see the other part, say, oh yeah, I can see how that would go together. So let's just look at how they identified a trigger. So again, they started this process, they said, well, how do we inform and educate people about rapid response? Well, they made this card, which I think is great. Are you concerned about your patient? If you have to remind the nurses that they should be concerned, that's a bit of a problem. So, Right off the top, you've got a situation here, but this is how they educated people, and they gave these hard plastic, you know, laminated things to all the nurses, and said, there's your phone number, if you have a problem, you can call. It's like calling 911 within the hospital, and the team will respond. Well, guess what, now everybody has to carry around these, like, cards, in addition to everything else they're carrying, to make sure they remember to take care of their patient, that's a little scary. Well, you also then have a form you have to fill out, so now that we've created a new service, there's a paper document, of course it's a hospital, everything's paper. And we have this situation now, you have to fill this out on top of everything else you're doing. In order to fill that out, you might have to look at the chart. So you have to look at what's going on with the patient, what led up to that, how did that all fit together. Then you might also have to look at, in this case, they had a, a hospital information system. So they had to look at that and see the data that was captured in their, their technology, and they had to know all these icons and knew what was going on with their patient. Oh yeah, and if things didn't go well and they ended up coding, you had another form you had to fill out. All this is just stuff that these nurses and physicians had on top of doing their job of caring for the patient. It, it just gets in the way. So we, we started by, by understanding all this, and of course, ultimately, it goes into a spreadsheet, and that goes up to the chief medical officer, and he looks at it once a month and says, hmm, yes, the quality of care is improving. So whatever that means. We took all that, we started whiteboarding. Whiteboarding's the best thing in the world. Everybody knows that, and you whiteboard out, and we actually stick the artifacts on the whiteboard. We start modeling the process at a very high level. This is before we did any direct observation. We just needed to try and understand how did these things fit together. And I think that what you're gonna learn about service design once you start doing it is that it is the process that matters, the actual design process. It's not the artifacts. It's the process of going through creating this knowledge that's so powerful. So we did that and we also then designed at the meta level. When you're designing something that's a unique service, there's no artifact out there that says, here, you capture your information this way, you're gonna be successful. So we had to design the design. So we started out by saying, how can we capture this information? One of the crazy things about rapid response teams is, on average, one to two of these things happens a day. So you're talking about, over the course of 24 hours, an event happens that might last between 20 minutes and two hours. So yeah, how, do you, how do you standardize how you're gonna observe these things? You can't have a herd of people hanging around the hospital just saying, 
hmm, I hope somebody gets really deathly ill. I mean, that's not good. So we, we had to standardize the data capture. And so that's where we started. We wanted to really figure out how do we capture the social touch points? Like when people arrive, how do they communicate with each other? How do they, how do they express that? How do, we, how do we do this over time? How do we log this? How do we create our own chart of information? So we started thinking about this and we created this artifact that would allow us to have different people over a long period of time capture data in not the exact same way because everybody's going to have their uni unique perspective and IA is going to see it very differently than somebody who's an ethnographer. But they're all going to need to capture it in a way that we can relate it. So we did this and then and we had pizza. Because what we did was we didn't want to run into the hospital with these newly created artifacts and, and not waste time, but go in there and, and figure out that they didn't work, which they didn't work. So we had all of our technologists come into our conference room. We ordered pizza, and we, we tried to capture their conversations, their tone, their touch points, just over a very simple situation to see if the artifacts that we created to capture the information were even useful. And what we learned from that was we improved the artifact before even going into the hospital. So when we went, it actually had accelerators built in. What we found was that there were things that we could do adding to the actual documentation so that instead of having to draw everything from scratch when you were in a, in a very fast-paced situation, you could use these accelerators to make it easier to capture them. So we, again, the design of the design is, is a weird thing to think about, but it's very, very critical when you're talking about something that might have low occurrence levels and it might be very costly to do over a significant amount of time. So once we finally got into the hospital, we started capturing information. So there was a lot of other stuff that went with this, but I just wanted to show you a couple of screens here about how we would capture that. So what you have on the right-hand side, people take those accelerators and they drew the bed around the one dot, which was the patient. So you can kind of see where the bed, how the bed was actually oriented within the room and started drawing lines of communication, how people moved around in this space and, and trying to capture over time how they came and went and how the actors evolved. And you label those actors, you start figuring out who's a nurse, who's a physician, who's an anesthesiologist, who are all these people that might be involved. A crazy thing about this is teaching hospitals are fantastic. They're, people are very open to giving information. It's very different than, than a, an institution that's really focused on the bottom line. However, that usually means that a lot of people show up to these events because they go over the pager. So they say, RRT event, you know, 15th floor, room 202. 10, 12 people show up into the little room. Half of them are just watching. They're trying to learn. And the other half are helping the patient. So it's very complex, it's very crazy. The other thing that's just totally hard to believe is that they want to be everywhere. Well, if somebody falls in the cafeteria, these people get called. So now you're going to the cafeteria. And we actually observed an event where somebody fell down an escalator in the lobby, and the RIT event showed up in the lobby. And now you have security guards, you have the general public. So it's not this nice little contained screen that I'm laying out form fields for. You know, it's, it's chaos, it's just chaos. And how do you model that? How do you create that? And that's what we tried to do. And the point is that we didn't do it perfectly. There's no one way to do this. And you're going to learn something that you would look back and say, boy, we really should have done it differently. But the idea is that you take this information, and then you start turning it into models. So you have all this data. And you, and you start blueprinting the actual service. We also started cartooning. We drew pictures of what the people were, what were all the, the artifacts that they carried with them on their person. Because ultimately, if we're trying to improve this and we might make technology recommendations, we don't want to go through the process saying, hey, you need to carry a laptop. If they're already carrying two pages, a cell phone, a pen, a clipboard, that card that has to tell them to care for their patient, you know, it's, it's very complex. 
And this is kind of a capture of what the room would look like. So you have this poor patient who's laying on the bed, and you have all these other people just in this room. And we started to look for breakdowns, communication problems. How were they trying to get information not only from each other, but information from maybe the lab? So they need a lab result back so they can know how to dose the patient. All this is very complex and in a very claustrophobic environment. Again, we did some more drawing and sketching, trying to, to identify timelines and patterns. We started putting together these different flows and taking them out of the notebooks, and then we started the model. We decided to focus on one key person, uh, someone called the nursing clinical coordinator. You can imagine it's like the quarterback of the nursing team. So the, the event is called, and this person's kind of coordinating everything. So we modeled the process around that particular individual, because they were central to the organization at that point in time. Now, of course, the challenge is by discovering this model, we realized there was probably 20 other individuals that we could model for. So it's something that's not, it's not done. You know, it's ongoing. We're trying to figure out how to go to the next level. But I wanted to show you the evolution of, of design artifacts and how you can create things very quickly, sketch them out, and, and start modeling them. And we're looking at what was the stress level of the individual as we perceived it against the amount of time that it might take to do something. What's the average versus the extreme? Trying to figure out these variations in, in the actual model until we created a single model which we felt represented the individual at the center, and this was over time. So the, one of the key components of services is over time. So where are they? Well, the thing is these events, like I said, occur so infrequently that you have a challenge in that most of the time they're not at an event. So you're, you're waiting around 12 hours, 16 hours, and trust me, it gets really boring in a hospital if you have got nothing to do. And it's not like a place where you go wander around because you'll get lost in some cavernous hallway they've never, they've never even mapped out before. So we had to follow these people around. They spent a lot of time in their kind of like nursing headquarters talking to each other. And then they'd go out and they would round. And they would go to all the different floors and talk to the, the different unit nurses that were in charge and, and see if they, if they needed any help. Like, who are they trying to move? And it's kind of like, oh, we have, to, we have to get a bed for this person. So they spend a significant amount of time here doing rounds. It's very powerful because they're touching a lot of patients. Right? They're going around, they're seeing dozens and dozens and dozens of patients within a very short amount of time. Not directly, but they're bringing awareness to the, to the nurses who might actually be caring for them. But then an event occurs. That event may just, it focuses them from, hey, I'm caring for all these people, to one person. So now, how does that affect the efficiency of the individual in that hospital? It's very, very challenging. So now, if another event occurs, they can't leave. So how do you deal with duality? when there's two events going on and you need the same team in two places. You have all these challenges. So we modeled this. We created a generic model, which the, we could then apply. So then we started to actually take what we observed and map that out against the model. And what you can see here is we started identifying breakdowns. When we could see there were problems, we started identifying opportunities for technology, maybe where there's a communication barrier and we could see that we could make improvements there. All these little rings on that side of it, those are all different actors who showed up. And it shows the time at which they arrived, the time at which they left. So you could see that we could do another model for every one of those actors to see the true efficiency of this process, where they came from, how much of their time was actually spent here. Because of course, it's not just showing up. There's prep. There's all these things that go with it. So we started to do this. And I have this like, more zoomed in state here so you can see kind of how we started isolating these breakdowns and things like that. But it's very important for us to model this information and try and capture what it means to be a person performing this service. We also then did our process diagram. And this is kind of a cleaned up state. What we wanted to do was show the primary and alternative paths. If it's kind of like a visual use case in some ways, we want to show the quality of the processes along the way. 
So how do all these things fit together? So not only do you have your, your blueprint, your model, you also have the process mapped out. So we could start to look at how to make improvements. So that's the discovery side. So we're doing all that. And then at the same time, we, we did this data analysis. So because it had been going on for a year, we wanted to make sure that we weren't just simply jumping in and saying, OK, let's observe. So we wanted to go and look at the data that they had captured and see how we might be able to make that more informative so that we could actually better understand what we should be watching when we go to the hospital. So we started to map locations. And this is just kind of the evolution of some of these different diagrams. I mean, that's crazy. It means nothing. So how do you clean that up? And we came to a final artifact that looked like this. And what we were trying to show is where an event occurred and where the patient was transferred to ultimately and map that against the length of stay within the hospital. So when you're talking about how, how dynamic that information is, you start to see that there are densities around where are locations that these events are happening and why might they be happening. Is it because there's just a lot of really sick patients there? Could be. Is it because that maybe there's really junior level people that are calling a lot of events? And they just need to be educated and trained on how to call events or how to react to it, a person declining in health. So we didn't know what all that meant. We're not doctors. What we did was we visualized the data in a way that's not a nice little chart, but then showed it to them. And they were like, wow, look at that. I can see, actually, how that can impact what we're doing. And just to, to kind of jump ahead a little bit, this was so powerful. At the time when we were doing this, they're actually building a new building because they were growing. And they said, could you, could you guys do this for our new building? Could you come over here and actually take what you've learned from this process to help us put locations closer together instead of us just putting nurses and, and doctors in different areas just because we know we need them there? So starting to think about how you could reorganize the hospital so that the physical locations were closer so that a response time wasn't I have to walk five miles, but maybe I have to transfer that patient just around the corner to a better facility that I have more intensive care abilities. The other thing that was interesting is the length of stay. You have, you know, everybody thinks about going to the emergency department. Well, the length of stay in the hospital for somebody who gets to the ED is pretty short on average compared to somebody who's actually in the hospital for something more serious, and their length of stay becomes days, weeks, months. And every minute that that patient is in a bed costs a lot of money. So you're talking about now, you remember, it's hard to get to the ROI. Well, we can actually say, hey, if we can save you time here, we can actually design a service that will, will open up beds. And now you won't have to build more buildings. So there, there's, it's very direct how you can make this relate to the, the bottom line. We also captured the data in a way that was, again, kind of crazy, but helpful. When we got started, we asked them, we said, when should we come? Man, we can't, we can't come and live at the hospital all the time. What days should, should we go to the hospital? And they said, well, you know, it seems like Thursdays and Fridays are really busy. Seem to be more events on Thursdays and Fridays. So we said, OK, that's good to know. We went to the data, and we visualized the data, and we started looking for trends and patterns. And we found out that Tuesdays, the most events occurred. On top of that, we found out that in addition to the, the most events occurring, you actually had more multi, what we called multi-event days. So that you had this effect where people would hear over the overhead that there was an event, and that would actually remind them. Just like the card says, care for your patient, they would hear the overhead page and say, oh, yeah, the RT event. So maybe if I see a problem, I'll be more likely to call. So you can actually start to see how the social environment of the hospital, and you don't want to take away the overhead page because it's, it's valuable to get more events, which are good. They want more events because that means that you're taking that quality of care sooner in the, pro in the process. But you also, it's, it's bad because so many people show up because they hear it. 
So how do you change the service so that you still have the benefits of both without negating the, 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 uh, the, the, the positives that could be found in one versus the other? And just some different visualizations and overlays and patterns and things like that that we, we trended out and we did on the day-to-day -day basis. And, and this is, again, very enlightening. We weren't looking for facts here. We were just looking for how can we show a picture that, we'll, that they can interpret. We also did surveys. I mean, of course, you need some larger end type data. You can't just sit there and observe a handful of these events and individuals and say that you're going to have an effect. And so we wanted to understand what were the dispositions of the individuals that actually participated in these events. And amazingly, the nurses who, who were involved in these events found that, man, they really saw the value of this service. And it actually started to impact where they would go as take their family to if there was a problem, which hospital they would go to. And they started, you started to see this trend where the nurses said, I would, take, I would be more likely to take my family to a hospital that has RRT teams than I would be otherwise. So this service is not only impacting the patient, you're starting to see the impact across the board about how the, the people who participate in that service actually see it outside of the work. And of course, the, the physicians, not so happy, you know, they started to see it, they felt that this was actually declining the quality of care they provided to their patients. So there, there you see that hierarchy where it got flipped upside down and they said, I'm not, as, I'm not able to care for my patients the same way I was used to um, before the, the RRT came into existence. So there, there's a negative feeling from the physicians and how do you correct that? So ultimately we, we had our vision and we tried to kind of stay to those goals and, and, and we, we kind of remapped the process. So we took all that information and we said, here are subtle changes. The interesting thing is you can't go into a service design project and say, we're gonna change it. We're gonna, we're gonna completely fix everything. And we're gonna just give you a totally new service as to how you can approach this. What we found was that probably a significant amount of the service was pretty good. So they had already corrected things as they went. And so we were evaluating how they could extend this. So the corrections we made were minor but significant and how they could then roll out that service to other hospitals. So it's very critical, I think, when you're going into service design not to see it as we're gonna, we're gonna solve the world's problems. We might actually validate that this service is, is, is worthwhile and, and maybe it doesn't need to be eliminated and it, and it should be extended. We also uh, spent some time reducing the uh, paper artifacts. So instead of having two forms, a front and a back to uh, the RRT event, we found that they were capturing way more data than they actually needed. So how, how, how could we eliminate some of that, that data capture so they didn't have to do that? So we reduced the form, we cleaned it up, made it a little easier. But the real, the real breakthrough here was that we, we combined it with the code form. So it was actually on the uh, carbon side. So instead of having to, to write the information twice, you could actually just write the code information, turn it over and write the, the event, RRT event information, tear off the carbon, now you had all that, you didn't have to read, it wasn't a duplicate entry. Subtle changes like that mean that they're more likely to do the data capture. Because the biggest challenge was that they wouldn't do the data capture at the point of the event. They would have the event occur, then they might go back to their little headquarters and, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta do a form. And they would make stuff up. They would make stuff up. Oh yeah, that, that seemed to take about five minutes. All right. So how can you make it so that the data capture happens at the time of the event? And it's by making it less painful. We also recommended some technology infrastructures that they could build so that they could visualize this. And we also modeled uh, a digital version of the actual form so that we said, hey, if you wanted to, to roll this out and have it on PDAs, how, how could you make it simple? How could we create some sort of uh, wizard type approach to this design problem so that they didn't have to really think through and that the interactions were single click based? 
because you didn't want to have to sit there and type a lot of information on a PDA. It's not practical. So how can you make it very quick and simple so that they're getting overviews of what they're capturing, but it's all single point of interaction? And we also created a dashboard. So we help them by saying, here's, here's a different way of visualizing your data so that now you can see what's happening on an ongoing basis instead of waiting until the end of the month. So all these things were things that we did around it. Yes, these are products in themselves, but they all relate to the overall service. And so there are different touch points, and we figured out ways that we could improve the service by augmenting it with different products or change them over time. When we delivered the final findings, we actually designed the entire container for that, too, so that they could explore that. So, I mean, it was top to bottom. We designed everything. We, re we tried to rethink not how to do things, but what is the best way, what's the best form for how you can actually capture that. So to kind of pull it all together here at the end, I have a few service design tips. Um, again, nothing that, that might be real groundbreaking, but I think the idea here is that anybody can do this. It's not something that you need to have a significant amount of training. You already know how to do this. It's just a matter of finding a different way to think in a bigger way. So if you talk about what are some of those tips, you've got to design at the meta level first. You've got to figure out how are you going to capture that information and making sure that you're doing it in the most efficient way and testing it before you actually go into the environment. The other thing you can do is, is be prepared to fail. I think a, a lot of people don't see design as failure. When people ask me, what do I do? I say, I fail all the time. That's my job. I get paid to fail. Because that's how I learn. That's how I figure out what the better approach is. So you have to be ready to do that. There is no one design. And you're not going to come to a conclusion where you say, aha. It's going to be lots of little ahas along the way, which yield a better result. And then I think research is the design, is the research. There is no separation. People need to stop thinking about, oh, I'm an IA. I, I don't do that. You know? Or, oh, I'm a researcher. I'll do the ethnography, but I'm just going to hand you a document at the end. You've got to start thinking that that process is the design, and how you approach that thinking will change what problems you see and how you describe them. And that, and that really leads into breaking down the role barriers and inviting challenges. You have to start thinking of yourself as collaborators and designers, all of you, not just simply the people who might say, I am a visual designer, and that's what they used to think, or I'm an IA, but really start thinking, no, I'm a researcher, I'm a designer, I'm every one of those aspects, depending on what kind of artifacts need to be created. And then lastly, service blueprints and visualizations are simply a means. The goal is not to create these things so you can look at the fancy pictures. I mean, sure, they look pretty cool. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that they, they, they're nifty, but they're not the goal. The goal is to inform the service. And that, that picture that we created helped the physicians and the nurses understand how they could change the service, how they could change the organization. So uh, the panel talked a right before me was talking a little bit about a collaborative experience with the client. You have to figure out how these visualizations inform them so that they can make decisions, and it's not designers dictating to the client, here's the best way to do it. So that's, that's pretty much everything. I, I open it up to questions now, and uh, hopefully that was interesting, a case study that can open your eyes as to how healthcare can be changed and how you can think of service design. But uh, yeah, any questions? Yeah. Somebody just stand up. I don't know. Yeah. Can you just mention really quickly who was on your project team, the yeah. roles? Yeah, so we had uh, people of all different levels. We had, I'm trying to think, there were about 12 different people involved because we, we, there was so much time that was involved in the, in the actual observation uh, that it was pretty exhausting, and we tried to do two in a box. So we tried to have two people observing all the time instead of having one person because, you know, what if somebody has to go to the bathroom or the vinegars, you know? And so we had... Visual designers, IAs, interaction designers, ethnographers, 
you know, anthropologists we actually have on staff and anthropologists. So, um, and then we also have people who are at different levels. So we had lead level people and we had interns. So how, and we, and we, we saw everybody's equal. There was no separation in the role or the level and everybody contributed. Did the hospital, whoa, did the hospital contact you guys and say, hey, we think we have a problem here. Can you guys come and do a big project and we'll pay you a million dollars? If we would have gotten paid a million dollars, I would be really happy. But as is most often the case when you're talking about doing something that people don't quite understand, you're really going to go in there and you're selling yourself as much as you're selling them on the idea. So we, we actually went in and it was a relationship that we had with the hospital at a personal level. And I went in and I talked to them and I said, what, what, what are your problems? Tell me, what are you trying to accomplish at the highest level? So I, in, in that diagram of the healthy to not so healthy, it's, that's where it started. And so we explored what would it mean to improve the quality of care provided to patients. And then through that we discovered that, hey, this RRT thing might be a great topic to look at as a service because it is somewhat isolated and it, it is definable. So we really, it was through conversation with the client that we, we started to get to that, but we didn't go in with any preconceived notions as to, hey, we're going to do service design for RRT. Uh, Hi, I'm just wondering what your relationship is now with the hospital, and, and you know, you did a lot of work. It's obvious your team spent a lot of time yeah. and, and probably uncovered a whole bunch of things in addition to the original problem that you were yeah. you know, engaged to solve. So, so what's going on right now? Well, we, we, um, we are always in talks with them about the next level, and the new building is a big thing. So we're, we're, cur we're currently going through conversations about how we could go in and help them design the new building. But it's interesting when you talk about, you know, I mentioned the hierarchy of the physician versus the nurse. Well, that also exists in how you present this kind of information. So when we finished our findings, what we had to do is we went in and we actually had to present first to the finance guy. And he had to say, well, that's pretty interesting. I think that that could actually go up to the next level. So then it went up to the next level, and then... It was like a group of five, and you know, there's some nurses and, and people like that. And so they watched it, and they were like, that, that, that's pretty interesting. I think that could go up to the next level. So I presented this probably five or six times to consistently higher levels until we got to the CFO and the chief medical officer and, and really started to make change possible within the organization. So it takes time. I mean, it's one thing to take time to do the research and to do the design. It's another thing to figure out how to actually mobilize a very bureaucratic organization and, and that takes time, and you have to be patient. So I think that the thing is not expecting to go in and have everything change overnight, but figure out how you might be able to have a long-term relationship with them. Did any of your recommendations have an impact on the roles or responsibilities of the employees there? And how uh, did you communicate that? That's a good question. Um, yes and no. I think um, from an education standpoint, yes is that a lot of people realized that the way that they were educating the people that they worked with, it needed to change. And their role on being on the team was really more of education than it was about performing the service. So they realized that they had to go out and talk about this more. And, they, and so they, their role expanded. I don't know if I would say that it changed. It's not like the nurse one day said, aha, I'm good enough to be a doctor now. So forget you people. I'm going to put on my white coat and I'm going to run around. No, it was, it was, the roles are still very distinct. But I think everybody figured out how they could expand what they do to cover a broader section of, of the event and extend the type of care. Because it's really, the, the RRT team, is, it's, really, it's not about the team. It's still about the quality of care. So they said, hey, we're starting to see that there are ways we can educate the younger physicians and the younger nurses on how to improve their jobs, 
maybe to redefine their roles a little bit and how that they can become better nurses and better physicians. So it was almost like how can they change the next generation? They're very, physicians are very set in their ways. Um, this is a really interesting talk because I think I accidentally have done service design. I didn't know what it was called. Um, <laughs> and so I want to ask you a little bit about that because we have a client who they do contracting work, but they need to subcontract us because they can't do uh, user experience design. We do that part for them. Yep. And in doing repeated engagements, they said, hey, you guys are smart. Um, we have an internal problem. Yep. We don't know, we do geographic information system engagements, and we think we're maybe not doing them very well, and could you help us figure out how to do them better? Mm -hmm. And can you talk about the issue of going through this whole thing and not being the expert? Because I said about a million times as I was going through this, Man, I'm, I'm, I think I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about geographic information systems. I think I feel too stupid to be telling these people. I, and yet it kind of went through this arc. And by the end, it felt like I was giving it to them and they were right. taking it. And, you know, so it yeah. ended up okay, but it was very uncomfortable for me all the way through. You know, I, th I think it's very important to define those lines and say, what, what is the role that you are going to play as an expert in design and understanding the problems? And, and, and use a word I heard yesterday, an investigator, you know, how can you go about that and figure things out and provide insights from your perspective? You know, I, I, maybe I could perform a trach now, I don't know. But, but it, it's, 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 it is something where you start to get a little smarter than you should be. And I think figuring out how to step back and think that I have a process and it's, it's, I'm going to follow this through and I'm gonna do it from my perspective and realize that when you do hand it over, yes, you gain a significant amount of knowledge, but you have to figure that knowledge is not about the subject area, but it's about how I did this process so that I can repeat that service design for the next client. And I can bring the fact that it wasn't about knowing the, the, you know, the, the geography and all that stuff. It was about how you could change how they did their work and how you could change the service. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat where they've done service design and they don't realize it. And really the key is that it's repeatable is it can you go in and do that same type of endeavor with a different client and have positive outcomes? So I think that, yeah, we've probably all done it. Just didn't know. We have time for about two more questions, so we'll go here. Of the two, the two big diagrams you had, the, I guess I'll say the pie chart sort of one mm -hmm. and the loopy sort of one, what's the source for those? Did you completely come up with those or where can we figure out how to generate them? Yeah, um, we created those from scratch. Uh, obviously, when you're looking at time, we, we call the one the wheel. So you know, you're pretty close with your names. And uh, the key was time. So it was kind of natural to figure out how can we, we map this to a clock and show the shift over time. So a circle came naturally. And the other one, the movement, it was really, the first examples were the first attempts at creating that data visualization, and it, and it failed. So we had to remodel that and figure out how we could learn. We have design critiques every week where we take this, the work that you're working on into the into the office with everybody else who have, may have no clue about the project, just like back in the old school days of school, you know, and, and we, we tear into it and we figure out how to improve it. So what you're seeing is, yes, there might have been a core of like 12 people on the project, but we actually involved everybody that we could in helping to evolve those data viz. So it, and most of them, are they were all created by hand. They weren't created through any kind of algorithm or anything like that, so they're painstaking to create. But when you create something that's unique like that, it, it provides different value than if I were to run it through and create a pie chart. You know, I, I, I hate pie charts, but there, there's just no way to create that kind of knowledge without failing through a few data visualizations and realize what could come out of it if you tweak this or change that. Yeah, back here. 
Hi, uh, I just want to understand, uh, did the hospital inherit it and start promoting the process to other, uh, other hospitals? And also, did they promote you in the process as experts in implementing this process? Yeah, they, they did, and, and, and they started to roll it out to the other hospitals within the, the enterprise. So some were very early on, and they took the findings and the service blueprints that we had created directly to these new hospitals. And they did actually start to see us as experts in implementing this service. So they said, can you come and help us by, by telling what you've told us to these new hospitals so that they can, they can have that perspective before they even start. So in some way, yes, we did become educators ourselves to other hospitals about the process and the service. Great. Well, thank you so much. That was thank really amazing. And that's all we have time for.